Well, that is awesome. You know, Christmas is that time of the year where we realize that God has really sent a Savior to the world. But I want you to understand that that first Christmas, it had been 400 years where God was just silent. There were no prophets that were giving any proclamations. There were no scriptures that were being written. It was as if God just completely went silent, all of which to build anticipation, almost a yearning in humanity for God to speak, for God to say something, to do about the plight of humanity. And when Jesus came, he made a call and invited the world to listen and to respond to him. Now, I think all of us are familiar with calls, right? Um, when I was a kid growing up in Montana, I just grew up in a small little rural little town, uh, my dad, uh, when he wanted us boys to come for dinner, he'd stand out in the front yard and go, boys, really loud, get in here, it's time to eat. And wherever we might be, uh, we're playing with our friends, riding our bike or whatever, we, we'd like stop and we would like hightail at home, okay, because dad didn't have a lot of patience. We knew like we needed to get there like quickly, no meandering. We had to get there quick. Now, the friends we were playing with, they just kept playing because after all, it wasn't their dad calling them, so they weren't responding. But that's kind of how it worked at my home. Um, we also had a dog, and uh, I had a Norwegian elk hound growing up. And had, here's a picture of what my dog looked like. And this dog went with us everywhere. I, this dog took me to school every single day, uh, go fishing, out, out anywhere. The dog was with us. His name was Stormy. His parents were lightning and thunder, so they named the dog Stormy. And, uh, you know, I started to figure out that my parents actually pretty much entrusted the dog to care for the boys, okay? Like, we weren't smart enough, but the dog was. And so everywhere we went, this dog went with us. And my dad had trained this dog to come, Stormy, by doing this. When, and so we would do that too. And wherever the dog was, Stormy would come running. Now, the rest of the dogs, they kind of stayed put. But Stormy would always come because that was his signal. So fast forward. Here we are, we're in Waco, Texas, and we don't have dogs, but we've got a couple cats, okay? One of them, Pumpkin's not smart enough to respond to calls, but this one that uh, we've adopted, this is Xavier, and uh, there you can see her. And I just want you to know that I see some of my neighbors here. At 10.30, 11 o'clock at night, when you hear this, that's me, I'm calling the kid's cat, Okay. I know that you think I'm crazy, but what I'm actually doing is I am calling the kid's cat. And sure enough, you know what happens? Xavier comes running and or sometimes walking a little slower. I, I wanted her to come running. She walked. But eventually we get in the house because that's her cue to come. And we're familiar with calls. And when you come to really two times of the year, it's kind of like God creates this universal call where everybody kind of stops and at least recognizes that God is calling each human individual to himself, to trust in his son. It's the shepherd's call. And you find it at Easter, and you also find it on the celebration that we've got on us, got before us tonight, and that is Christmas. And the question I just want to ask you is this. This Christmas, how will you respond to the shepherd's call? Well, if you want to take a look at what this looks like, open your Bibles to the Gospel of John chapter 10. And in verse 22, you see this, John is writing and telling us when Jesus actually gives clarity and understanding to the shepherd's call. It says, verse 22, now at the time of the feast of dedication took place at Jerusalem. 
So the Feast of Dedication, you're perhaps more familiar with this, and it's called Hanukkah. It is the Feast of Lights, the celebration of lights. And to give you just a little background of what's going on here, there was a a Greek king by the name of Antiochus Epiphanes, and he he kind of was the overseer of the Seleucid Empire. They overran Israel, took over Jerusalem. This guy was about as thoroughly pagan, as wicked as they could come. Even the Antichrist actually has features that come from this guy. And so in order to just create great disdain over the conquered people of Jerusalem and the people of Israel, uh, you guys know how the Jews had nothing to do with pigs, the ultra-unclean animal. So he took a bunch of swine and sacrificed them on the altar of burnt offerings, all to be completely in the face of the Jewish people. This created a revolt. And uh, there's a guy by the name of Judas Maccabeus. He actually leads a revolt, and they're able to drive off Uh, Antiochus Epiphanes and all of his wicked army and when they rededicate the temple God provides this miracle of a little bit of oil that actually uh, provides light for eight days and that is why it's known as the festival of lights or the feast of dedication and it's at this time this event takes place late November December every year and the date that it's believed here in verse 22 would be December 18th A.D. 32, about three and a half months before Jesus goes to the cross, this incredible discussion takes place. And verse 23, and it was winter, and Jesus walking was walking in the temple in the portico of Solomon. And here's a rendering of what that looked like. But because of the cold weather, Jesus is now walking, and there you see in these columns, this is where people could have protection. I want you to know that in about five months, this is where the first Christians will meet They will then proclaim the gospel on the Temple Mount here in Solomon's portico. And so it's at this time that the Jews, verse 24, they have gathered around him and they're saying to him, listen, how long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, you tell us plainly. What they've done is they're wanting him. We want you to go and make this public statement standing right here at the temple That you are this promised Messiah. Remember, the Old Testament gives all this focus about this coming one, this Christ. He, all the way back to Genesis chapter 3, God promises a deliverer, an eternal one, a son of David, who's going to live forever, be a king, and he's going to pay the penalty for sin, and he'll rise again. And so they're saying, listen, you tell us, are you the Messiah? And look what Jesus says. Jesus answered them, Listen, I told you, and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name, these testify of me. But you do not believe because you're not of my sheep. He says, listen, for about three years, I've been telling you, I am him. I'm the promised one of the Old Testament scriptures about this Messiah. It's me. And in case you missed my declarations and my statements to you, I have done all of these works. Did you see that? I've done the things so that you would believe. But the problem is you don't lack information. You lack repentance and faith. What kind of works did Jesus do? Well, try this. He uh, healed people, people who had limbs that weren't working. They were lame. He healed them. Blind people, whether they're born blind or some sort of accident caused them to be blind. He gave them sight. People who can speak could suddenly speak demon possessed people all of a sudden he cast out the demons and in case you're thinking like okay that's pretty serious so there'd be no mistake that this jesus is the promised messiah 
on three different occasions, he had someone, he faced someone that was dead and brought them back to life. So there'll be no misunderstanding, no confusion. He says, I am him. You've heard me. I've been telling you and I've been showing you. So he says, listen, there's some things that you need to know. I am the good shepherd. Remember what he said earlier in John chapter 10, verse 11. And I have come to shepherd my people. Now, how does Jesus shepherd his people? Well, look what he says. Look at verse 27. He says, the problem with you is that you are not my sheep. He says, verse 27, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. You see, they wouldn't believe and that's why they wouldn't follow Jesus. And he says, I want you to know what it looks like to be one of my sheep. First of all, he calls them. You see that? They hear his voice. To hear not means just to like, well, there's somebody talking and there's some syllables. But the idea that you actually not only hear, but you heed, you understand and you obey. He says, my sheep actually obey me. And furthermore, he says, not only do I call them, but he says, verse 27, that I know them. I know them intimately. He knows their name. And that's what shepherds would do. They would actually name all of their sheep. And for years, these shepherds would travel with these sheep and he, the shepherd would give them names and the sheep would actually respond to him. But I not only know their name, he says, I know them. I know their nature. I know their idiosyncrasies. I know their tendencies. I know what they're afraid of. I know their fears. I know where their strengths are. I know everything about them. And furthermore, I know their needs. I know the sheep better than themselves. Jesus says, for me, I call them. I know them. And notice what else he says in verse 27. And they follow me in the west uh shepherds kind of like they either go to the side or behind the sheep and they drive the sheep most shepherds today they have a dog and that dog scares the sheep and so the shepherd just basically tells the dog what to do and the dog chases the sheep the sheep are really afraid of the dog the dog kind of bites at them a little bit on their heels and they chase the sheep that's not how it happened in israel in israel the shepherd got in front of the sheep he'd call them and we're going and he'd start walking and they would follow him. And that's how Jesus works. He loves his own so much that he calls them. He knows them and he leads them. There is a guy by the name of Steve Nichols. And, and like most parents, at some point you come to a time where you're going to buy your kids some fish or, or worse yet, they're donated toward, to you. You know what I'm saying? And so he went to a pet store and he's got his young little daughter and and there's more to fish than you might imagine. So he goes and buys some cheap fish at the pet store and he puts them in the aquarium. They get some stuff to put in the aquarium, some rocks, an artificial plant. They put it in there and they put the, the fish in there. And, and as it would happen, at least this is my experience, uh, one by one, the fish start dying. You know, OK, there's more to it than you might know. And so the first fish dies. But a good thing, his daughter is visiting the grandparents. And so the wife just flushes the little fish down and it's gone, right? Well, when the second fish dies, uh, it got caught up in the artificial plant. And um, mom was there. The daughter sees it. And so the wife calls her husband and says, hey, listen, you know, Steve, my, your daughter has something to tell you. And so she explains in her very childlike way that the fish had gotten caught in the little plant and it died. And that there's going to be a funeral and mom's going to conduct it. It's going to be in the backyard. And then he said, she said something that brought tears to my eyes. 
she said this before she hung up. Daddy, will you keep me from getting caught in the weeds? And I'll tell you what she's asking her dad is, Dad, will you be my shepherd in life? Will you help me so I don't get caught up and end, like, end up like this fish? And friends, that's what Jesus does. For his people, he leads them. He calls them. He gives, them his, gives you his word. He doesn't want you to get caught up in all the trappings and the sin and the problems and the evil things that are out there. And they're very real. He wants you to follow him. And he's going to lead you to a life of joy. In fact, look at the kind of life that Jesus gives his sheep. Verse 28. And he says, and I give eternal life to them. What, when does eternity end? Anybody know? It doesn't. Eternity never ends. So Jesus gives a life that is eternal in nature. It's never ending, but it also speaks of a quality of life. It's literally life with God. His spirit invested in you. You united with his son. He gives genuine, authentic, spiritual life to those who will believe. He says, I give my people eternal life. And furthermore, he says, and I save them. He says, and they will never perish. They'll never perish because I saved them. I've rescued them. And furthermore, look what else he says in verses 28 and 29. He says, and I guard them. He guards his people. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. And my father who has given them to me is greater than all. And no one is able to snatch them out of the father's hand. I mean, think of this. Jesus gives eternal life. You don't earn it. You don't deserve it. It's not like, well, you've been a pretty good sheep. And so I think I'm going to give you eternal life. You know, you don't earn it. He gives it. You just recognize that, listen, I'm a sinner. I've really messed up. I'm not holy. I need help. I need not only salvation. I need a shepherd. And I believe in Jesus. He gives eternal life. Furthermore, though, it's kind of like this. Jesus says, you know, you're like in my hand. No one's going to snatch you. Not even Satan himself could ever take you from my grasp. And furthermore, you're in my hand. And it's like the father, he says in verse 29, he's like goddess. It's like you're doubly secure. It's talking about an assurance that you could never lose your salvation. You didn't earn it. God gave it. He keeps it and he keeps you. You're like, it's kind of like, you know, when you get gifts this Christmas and you're likely you're going to get one. Some of your gifts are going back to the store. Some of your gifts are going to be regifted. Please don't give them back to the person that gave them to you, okay? They don't think kindly about that. But I want you to know that God never does that with his people. No matter how bad you've been and what you've done, if you're truly one of his sheep and you hear his voice, he says, I want you to know that I've got you and I'm keeping you. And I've got you and the Father's got you and you are eternally secure. Now, it's really interesting in the Bible, they refer to people as sheep. Jesus refers to his people as sheep. And I want you to know that that is a pretty good illustration of how you and I function. Now, to, to be a sheep, okay, like let me just kind of give you some understanding. Their sheep are not known for their common sense. Here's actually a picture of your sheep, okay? Now, I have talked to some of our sheep experts in the church. I want you to know, to, to, so you gauge like the intelligence level of sheep. You see that they've got that little feed pail, and somehow it's gotten lodged on the sheep's head. The sheep is not smart enough to figure out how to get the pail off. 
And apart from some human coming by and pulling the pail off, the sheep will just stand there like, boy, I really hate this. This is terrible. You know what I'm saying? I I just wish I could get rid of this, but I don't know how. And and we'll stand there. That's how, that's where they're functioning at. Furthermore, I mean, sheep, they're, they're jealous when it comes to food. They are not a clean animal. I know that when you go to like the county fair or the heart of Texas, uh, when you go and see the fair there and you see all the sheep and they're like so fluffy and fuzzy and they're beautiful and like, you know, I think we should get some sheep running around our house because look at how cute they are. They are so clean. They're just kind of glowing. I want you to know that's not how sheep normally are. They're a mess. They look like that. They, they can't clean themselves. They're one of the few animals that never clean themselves. They lay around the mud, they lay around the dirt. They don't even care. They'll eat anything. They'll even eat things they should never eat. They're just dirty animals. They're furthermore, they're not appreciative. They kind of, they don't even appreciate the care of the shepherd. Even though the shepherd is always doing what is best for the sheep, the sheep don't seem to really appreciate that much. They're kind of a mess. Furthermore, like when a sheep, like if they're ever under attack, like they're in a little flock and the coyotes decide like, hey, it's dinner time. And they go and attack one of the sheep. The sheep will watch this and like, why are you eating my friend's legs? That's bad. You know, and they'll do that. And uh, they won't like, like run away or fight back or anything. They're, they're sheep. And so Jesus, when he says, listen, I'm the good shepherd. He says, people, people are a lot like sheep. The one thing the sheep have got going for them is they respond to the care of the shepherd. And Jesus says, listen, I'm the good shepherd. This is how I care for my sheep. I give them eternal life. No one's going to snatch them. No wolf is going to overtake them. They can't lose their salvation. I care for them. I know them. And I want you to know something. You've got to be God to be able to do that. No shepherd could do that unless you are God. And that really is the question. Is Jesus really God? That's what they're asking. Hey, listen, Jesus, we've heard you. We want to know, you just tell us plainly, are you the Messiah? Are you really this God man, this deliverer? And look, I want you to see verse 30. One of the clearest statements that you are ever going to find about who Jesus is. Jesus says, listen, I and the Father are one. I am absolutely one with the Father, one in nature, one in essence. You see, God is Father, Son, Holy Spirit. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And Jesus is claiming an absolute unity. We are one in essence, absolute unity in purpose. I do the Father's will, but I need you to understand I am completely united with him. I indeed am the living God. Now, I want you to know when he said this, This was so alarming to the Jewish people because the devout Jews twice a day, they said what is called the Shema. You can find it in Deuteronomy chapter six, verses four through nine and Deuteronomy six, four. This is how it begins. It says, hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God. The Lord is one, a a compound oneness. And twice a day they would say this. So when Jesus says, I am one with the father, that reminds them just a few hours ago. We just said the Lord is one and he's claiming to be one with the father. Well, I want you to know that everybody's got a reaction to Jesus. You're either going to rejoice or reject. Let me show you how the Jewish people handled this situation. Jesus makes this 
utterly clear statement of his divinity. Verse 31, the Jews picked up stones again to stone him. Now, by this time, the Romans had taken away the Jews' uh, ability to, for capital punishment. But we're not talking. what we're talking about here is mob rule. They're going to pick up rocks and they're going to put him to death. And Jesus then says, let me ask you a question here. I want to ask you, I showed you many good works from the Father. For which of them are you stoning me? And the Jews answered, for a good work, we do not stone you, but for blasphemy. And because you, being a man, make yourself out to be God. This whole idea of, well, Jesus never claimed to be God, or he just says he's a good teacher. No, 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 no. They understood his claim. He's claiming divinity equal with the Father. It's really, it's very interesting is that they actually got it backwards. See, they're saying, you're a man and you claim to be God. What Jesus is saying is, listen, I am God and I've come as a man. That is the miracle of Christmas. And so, ironically, they, uh, they understand exactly what Jesus is saying, but they'll have nothing of it. You see, they miss the call. We could call it the call of Christmas. Remember what John 20, 10, 27, Jesus says, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. Do you know how the Bible ends? The very last page of the Bible, Jesus, the great shepherd, utters a call. You can find it at the very end, Revelation chapter 22, verses 16 and 17. And listen to what Jesus says. I, Jesus... I sent my angel to testify to you these things for the churches. I am the root and the descendant of David. Remember, there's a promised one coming from the line of David, David's greater son, a king that will reign forever. He says, I'm it. I'm the root and the descendant of David. I'm the bright morning star. And then he says, the spirit and the bride say, come. And let the one who hears say, come. And let the one who is thirsty Come, let the one who wishes to take the water of life without cost. You see, the shepherd is making his call and his appeal. I want to ask, do you really hear his voice? Have you responded? Do you follow him? And so the question is, how will you respond to the call, the shepherd's call of Christmas? You're either going to believe and receive him, or you're going to reject and deny him. But there is no middle ground. And, and just for a minute, I know that some of you, you kind of almost got like roped into coming here. You're like, oh man, okay, we got to go, the family thing. They want to go to church and like, I can endure anything for an hour. Okay, how long will this last? I understand that I get to eat after this. And so I'm here and I've made my appearance. But just for a minute, let me just ask. If you're here today without Christ being your shepherd, haven't you seen the effects of going through life on your own? Or picking some shepherd that's not God? I mean, do you know there's this God-shaped void in your soul? He has created you to know him and to experience him. Look at some of your relationships and the brokenness. And maybe even you have a lack of purpose and, and a lack of joy and no peace. And you see the destructiveness of sins. And, and you see a lot of poor decisions. I want you to know that God has provided not only a savior for sin... He has provided a shepherd for life. He is always with you. He loves you immensely. He wants to guide you, support you, encourage you, and he wants you to follow him. And so what will it be for you? Will you be rejoicing and receiving 
or rejecting. But remember this, how we live depends upon whom we follow. How we live depends upon whom we follow. And Jesus says, come, follow me. I'm sure you're familiar with J.C. Penney's. You guys familiar with the store? You guys been shopping there? I was in there. It's a zoo, okay? I mean, there's these lines. They got a good thing going there. But did you know that, like, J.C. Penney's is named after the guy who founded the store? His name is J.C. Penney. Do you guys, anybody happen to know his, his whole name? Get this. He had really clever parents. It's James Cash Penny. It's like his parents like, man, pennies are not going to make it. You're going to need more than pennies. You're going to need some cash. We're going to give you the middle name, Cash. So it's James Cash Penny. And, you know, he struggled with some bad health and stuff, but he was an entrepreneur. And uh, he eventually acquired some small little dry goods business called The Golden Rule. And he started expanding these stores, selling these dry goods. And things were going great. And he had stores going everywhere. And that was all until when the Great Depression hit. And that, you know, at the end of 1929, moving into the 1930s, when the Great Depression just literally wiped out all sorts of people, including J.C. Penney. James Cash Penney became penniless. He lost all of his businesses, and he lost his health. In fact, he was in the process of even losing his family, even though he had grown up in a Christian home, and he had a, a, a faith in God. But, you know, he was really had made success and money his God, and He was in a terrible situation. To use his own words, he wrote and said, um, I was at the end of my rope. My business had crumbled. My communications with colleagues had faltered. And even my wife and our children were estranged from me. And it was all my fault. In fact, he was even contemplating suicide. Well, he had an old friend who insisted, listen, you got to take care of yourself. You need to go and check yourself into a hospital. And so at the end of his rope, He did just that. He went to a hospital in 1932 in Battle Creek, Michigan. And sure enough, the care of the doctors and nurses and the rest certainly helped him. But one morning he woke up and it was way before breakfast time. He started wandering the halls and he he heard singing. And so he kind of like, where is this coming from? He kept going closer and closer to the sound. And it was these people, these voices. They were singing a hymn that he had heard as a kid. And as he got closer, he heard this familiar song, Be not dismayed, whatever betide, God will take care of you. All you need, he will provide. God will take care of you. And so he finds this room, and he turns and looks, and in this large room are all these doctors and nurses. And they're all worshiping before the day began, and they're singing this hymn. And then someone gets up and reads from the scripture and reads this, Come unto me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And for James Penny, he said it was this moment of clarity. This hardworking entrepreneur literally felt like he needed to cry out and does so in his soul as he reports, Lord, will you take care of me? I can do nothing for myself. And he says, in the midst of my failure to believe, God helped me back to believing. And throughout the rest of his life, and he lived to the age of 95, not only did he serve the Lord, but he, he, his businesses then took off and thrived. And as you can see, they're doing well even now. He said, for me, it was a life-changing miracle. Something happened that I could never explain. But I saw God in his glory And it's as if I understood that Jesus 
cares for me. You see what happened is, he came to understand that Jesus, the Savior, is also his shepherd. And I want you to know something this Christmas. God will take care of you. He will shepherd you. Why? Because he can. So do you hear the shepherd's call this Christmas? And how will you respond? My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. You see, how we live depends upon whom we follow. So this Christmas, let's follow Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for an amazing passage of Scripture. And on this Christmas, if there is someone who has come here today who has never truly trusted in Christ, maybe they find themselves even at the end of their road, would they just pray with me and say, Lord, I turn from myself and my sin. Maybe I've made money at God. Maybe I've just been distant from you. This evening, on this Christmas Eve, I put my entire soul in your hands. I ask for forgiveness of sins and for the newness of life. I ask that you would lead me. And Lord, for all of us who do know Jesus, may we celebrate that you have sent a Savior and that you have sent the Savior to shepherd us, the sheep. And so we praise you and worship you this evening. In Jesus' name, amen.